Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast. This is episode 48. I'm your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Uh, Mike, we're on um, a year of having done the Banter Podcast. Uh, how does that make you feel today? Well, technically, it's 51 weeks. Next week, if we make it, if we can make it to another podcast after this, we will have been doing this for a year. And man, time flies. Almost, uh, almost anniversary. So yeah, almost. Really not worth bringing up, but hey. No, it is. It is because we just passed March 11th, mm. which was the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization declaring a global health pandemic. And Ben, like so many other people in the United States and across the world, we decided we were going to do a podcast. We're going to be stuck at home so and have all these it, hot takes. Podcast, yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's, let's just add to the problem. <laughs> just add to the, add to the content podcast saturation problem and uh, give our two cents. And honestly, I have to say, I thought we would have given this up a long time ago. I thought we were going to do like maybe five episodes and just say, fuck it. But here we here, are. Here we, here we are 51 weeks later. Unreal. <laughs> so we uh, we got we've got a good amount to talk about today. Um, we, yeah, we were we were off last week, and that was my fault because I just didn't feel like doing a podcast. Which is fair enough. Which is fair enough. I think uh, this year, as as everybody knows, this year has been exhausting and uh, uh, extremely trying. Um, it's amazing how tired people like I've uh, almost everybody I know is complaining of being exhausted all of the time. And what they're doing most of the time is watching Netflix. Um, but it is, again, it's weird how, how tiring it can be just, you know, not being able to do stuff. Like it's like the limits on what you're allowed to do kind of, and it's like, you know, you've got to think about, okay, I need to go out and get groceries. I've got to put a mask on. I've got to like make sure that I've got my hand sanitizer. I, you know, I can't talk to anyone for too long outside, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, all I can say is thank God it's, it's nearly over. I have to say I, I have missed like going to restaurants and bars and sporting events. That has definitely sucked. I will say though, it's been kind of nice not feeling obligated to go certain places and see certain people. It's like, oh, sorry, pandemic. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to get coffee with you. Not really, but pandemic, sorry. <laughs> and you've got a built excuse, right? The thing is, it's like you have, it's an amazing excuse. It's like, ah, you know what? I think I might have been in contact with someone who's got COVID. So I can't, you know, better be safe than sorry. You know, so I can't come to your thick gathering in the park in the middle of winter. You know, you've got, you've got, you've got these, uh, you've got these, these great excuses now for not having to participate in, in annoying social activities. Uh, and that's all going soon. It is. So it's a double-edged sword. No, obviously we're, we're kidding here. We are very glad that, you know, the vaccine is being administered at a clip of at least 2 million doses per day in the United States. The number of cases are going down. The number of deaths are going down. And there is light at the end of the tunnel, as everyone is saying. And like Joe Biden said in his speech to the nation on Thursday night, you know, the hope is that 
Fourth of July, Independence Day, we'll be able to gather with friends and family and not have to worry about contracting COVID-19 and basically declaring our independence from the virus in what I thought was a very good speech. It was full of empathy and facts, you know, to show that Biden is he's good at connecting with people. Uh, in a way that the previous guy was just completely incapable of doing. Biden, you know, it was a good speech, but it was also a normal speech. It was, it's, it's just a reminder of what a normal president sounds like uh, in a speech like that. And that's something that's been missing for the previous four years. In, in, con- in contrast, so this past week, so Biden did a speech um, and then Donald Trump released a, a statement, right, from the office of uh, of Donald J. Trump, right? So just we can just compare and contrast, right? Um, statement by Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States of America. This was on March the 10th, this is two days ago. Biden, uh, 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 Trump says, I hope everyone remembers when they're getting the COVID-19 in brackets, often referred to as the China virus, end brackets, vaccine, that if I wasn't president, you wouldn't be getting that beautiful shot, in quotation marks, for five years at best, and probably wouldn't be getting it at all. I hope everyone remembers, exclamation mark. Yeah, I I remember COVID vaccine developers, they were having a really hard time and coming up with an effective vaccine. And Donald Trump put on his lab coat late last year and said, step aside, let me figure this shit out. And Donald Trump single-handedly came up, developed an effective COVID-19 vaccination. Uh, And without his efforts, we would not be getting a vaccine for another five years. Yes, that's exactly how it went fucking down. I mean, what a difference, right? What a difference between between you know Joe Biden and and Donald Trump. It, it just you know people have compl- complained that that Biden hasn't held a sort of a news conference in the fifty days he's been in office. You know what? I think if you're complaining about that, uh, you, you weren't paying attention for the past four years of what we've had to put up with, just a constant stream of horseshit from the White House and. And, and Trump every single day, you know. So it's and also, I mean, look, like let let's be, you know, let's be clear about this, right? The Biden administration has moved incredibly quickly on um, on 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 almost all fronts over the past fifty days. The guy's clearly been doing his job, like he's clearly actually been doing what the president is supposed to do. You know, getting things done, talking to people, doing deals, like ensuring the vaccine gets rolled out. Um, with maximum efficiency. I mean, you know, they're already, uh, Biden uh, promised 100 um, million shots in the first 100 days while he was in office. They're, they're on target to reach that by day 60. So he's, he's not over-promising and lying about everything like Trump. He's, he's, he's over-delivering. Right. And this is not to, this is not me. You know, I'm not like a Biden fanboy over here. And but like this is what effective government looks like. This is what your government should be doing. You know, this is what it looks like when you when you um, elect adults in, into office. You know, you might not agree with everything Biden does or says or, you know, um, but you, you can't deny it. it's like the Obama people. The Obama people were for all their flaws were competent and and. What a what an unbelievable difference that is, right? Between having having a sort of a bumbling idiot 
running everything and creating, you know, gutting departments, hiring stooges, destroying relationships um, at home and abroad at every single opportunity. And, you know, Biden has, I mean, look, let's, let's talk about the relief bill, right? This is, this is um, obviously mm. the hot topic of the week, right? Is the, is the, is the relief bill, the $1.9 trillion yes. stimulus That's- package, which is, there's a lot in it. Yeah, there's a ton in it. And I'll just give a quick inexhaustive rundown. Tens of billions of dollars for COVID testing and contact tracing um, and increasing the number of public health workers. And it funds vaccine distribution and supply chains. This bill extends the existing $300 weekly unemployment benefits through September 6th, and it provides a tax break on $10,000 in unemployment benefits. So if, you know, if you've received more than 10000 in unemployment insurance, you, you don't have to pay taxes on any of it uh, up to $10,000. $1,400 stimulus checks to people who earn uh, less than 75000 a year and couples who are earning less than $150,000 a year. And it gets starts to get means tested after that, and there there's no benefit if you make over eighty as an individual or a couple married couple making over one hundred and sixty and and this is a big one that I think America that I think Democrats need to really talk about more in addition to the stimulus checks. Most Americans will receive a three thousand dollar child tax credit for kids ages six to seventeen and $3,600 for each kid under the age of six. So that's going to last one year, and it's going to be sent via direct deposit on like uh, an occasional basis. And it extends – it's basically an expansion of the existing child tax credit, which is $2,000 a year for kids up to the age of 16. And and that's a big deal. That is going to be – that needs to be talked about more. And the, the relief bill also um, allots $350 billion for states, cities, uh, and U.S. territories and tribal governments. That was one that Republicans really did not like. They were very adamant about opposing aid for state and local governments. But that will go to both blue states and red states, blue cities and red cities, Senator Rick Scott of Florida, he, he wrote an open letter to, to governors and mayors saying that they should return any COVID relief funds that they receive back to the federal government. It's like, okay, yeah, buddy. Meanwhile, you had the governor of Florida in, in Scott's own state, who's also a Republican, who was saying that Florida should have gotten more money. So that was interesting. But anyway, $20 billion in emergency rental relief. Um, another $10 billion for mortgage assistance, uh, $130 billion to help schools reopen. Uh, higher ed institutions get f- about $40 billion. $510 million for FEMA emergency food and shelter program, supporting the homeless service providers for overnight shelters. There's more, but I think you get the idea that this is a a very good bill with a lot of much-needed relief for a lot of people. It's a very progressive bill. It does not include the $15 an hour minimum wage, and the stimulus checks are a bit too means-tested for my liking. 
Democrats kind of made a, a they made a little bit of a boo boo there that for reasons we don't have to get into. But overall, this bill is Sorry, great, great. Yeah, Joe Manchin. Overall, this bill is is very, very good. It's it's going to help a lot of people who need it desperately, and that's a good thing. I think you know when you have Bernie Sanders saying that this is the most significant piece of legislation um, to cut poverty, uh, you know, in fifty years. That's that's saying something. You know, uh, I think across the across the spectrum. I mean, the, the, one of the interesting things is that the relief bill is popular with Republicans, just not Repu- not elected Republicans. Like voters love it across the board. They think it's a great idea. Um, you know, it's only re- elected Republican officials who are complaining about it. None of them voted for it. Like, you know, because obviously it's socialism when 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 Biden does it. It, it was uh, it was it was a relief when Trump did it, but now it's socialism when when Biden does it, which is obviously completely ridiculous. So, you know, it's been quite interesting to see that how just how how out of step the GOP is with it with their own voters that they can't recognize that this is incredibly popular. And, you know, had they got behind it, they might have sort of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the party is in, in a real serious crisis at the moment, right? When most of the supporters are, most of the Republicans are incredibly pro-Trump. But those, the Trump supporters are, they, they, they like all this stuff. They want the government to help them. They want uh, a stimulus check. They want their industries to get bailed out. So, you know, um, I think, you know, barely any of these Republicans seem to understand this from a practical level, that their voters are way to the left of, of, uh, of where they are on most issues, which is, which is just kind of crazy. Not a single Republican in the House or Senate voted for this bill, despite the fact that poll after poll has shown that it is widely popular. You know why? Because people like receiving money and they especially like receiving money and relief in the middle of a pandemic. This is a once in a hundred years pandemic. This is exactly what was needed. Republicans, you know, you listen to their rhetoric, you would think that this is just like a thing that Democrats decided to propose for no reason, right? Mm. A $1.9 trillion spending package just because they felt like it. And it's like, no, We've been living with a virus for a year. More than half a million Americans are dead. We need to get vaccines out. State and local governments are struggling because of a fall in tax revenues. People are struggling because they've lost their jobs or they've been furloughed. They've lost health insurance. And Republicans are just acting like this is just some crazy idea that popped into Joe Biden's head one night. And now all the Democrats are going along with it, as opposed to the thing that needs to be done. And, oh, man, you think back to the, the Georgia Senate runoff. If Democrats lose one of those races, this bill looks very different if there's even a bill at all. Again, I think it just it just shows you how completely out of tune these people are with reality and what most people are, are are going through it's like when you listen to the kind of fox news crew talking about the pandemic as if it's over as if it doesn't affect anybody anymore um and i think if you were a millionaire an incredibly privileged multi-millionaire 
the pandemic is sort of you know it doesn't affect you in any way right you can your life is pretty much goes on as normal you know you have enough money to ride this thing out you don't really care what happens to most of the population um you know the pandemic may you know it, it will it probably would have increased your net worth right where you would have been stashing money aside and putting it into stocks and whatever it is you put your money into you probably would have done quite well out of this but for the majority of the population it's been absolutely devastating i mean in my neighborhood there were in the peak of the pandemic um well <laughs> there have been several peaks right but but the last one there were it, people were driving up to food banks and waiting in line for three four five hours to get food and i i don't live in a poor neighborhood i mean this is this is how this is how bad it is right and, you know and and the economy is obviously the, the stock market is completely divorced from everyday life but the economy has been appalling for the vast majority of, of people like huge numbers of people are unemployed they've had their hours cut they um they're supporting you know sick family members or you know supporting other family members who are struggling financially it's been an absolute shit show uh, and the republicans as usual have absolutely nothing to offer any of these any of them you know what can you think of a single republican idea to combat the 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 pandemic i mean or, or anything for that matter you know what's their solution for the education crisis what's their solution for child poverty what's their solution for the the, the fact that minimum wage in this country doesn't pay enough for people to live on what's their solution they have no they there's I don't know. Can you name a Republican policy that that works or that that isn't that doesn't have a tax cut in it? Mitt Romney proposed a generous child tax credit recently, I believe. But there, it's like how many Republicans would have signed on to that? Yeah, none. Right? I mean, none. I it, mean, Marco well, Rubio went after that one. Did you see what Marco Rubio said? Like, you know, it's a tax credit is fine, but like, what handing out cash to Americans is like. Yeah, that's socialism, and that that's going to breed dependency on the state. The problem you just identified, Republicans having a lack of solution solutions, stems from the fact that they view government as the enemy, and they don't think the government is a vehicle for improving people's lives. And so when you don't really believe in government, then you're not going to come up with a whole lot of innovative ideas for how government can actually help people. You know, it's the same reason they didn't have an alternative to Obamacare. They've wanted to repeal Obamacare for, you know, since the beginning, but they've never offered a viable alternative. And that's because it is simply not in the Republican Party's DNA to create a federal solution or really any solution. The Republican Party, not a whole lot of ideas going on there. It's, and I think that that's why the party is is in a real state of crisis now. Because, I, and I, I think it's good that the Democrats are are basically, you know, they're not what they're not doing is what Obama did in his first term. What Obama did in his first term was to play nice with the Republicans, was to accommodate all their demands and take what they were saying seriously and listen to the tea party and you know blah 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 blah. so the the stimulus that he passed um after the crash in 2008 was 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 woefully inadequate i think it was 800 billion right for the largest economic crisis in in 100 years almost or in 80 years so that, that you know the recovery after 
the Obama stimulus was actually quite slow. You know, it took many years for, for the economy to fully recover because they basically didn't spend enough money because Republicans uh, blocked a lot of the funding. Um, and, and basically turned that a lot of that $800 billion was, came in the form of tax cuts, which are like the least effective way of stimulating an economy is to give rich people lots of tax cuts. You know, it, it doesn't work very well. So, you know, we're now in a position where I think, you know, the, the Biden people have obviously learned from that. A lot of them were there in 2008. So they have not made that mistake again. I think the passing of the $1.9 trillion stimulus is a very bold move. And it's incredibly, it's actually smart politics as well. If you think about it from a long-term perspective, because, you know, the child tax credits and a lot of these things are an, an expansion of um, uh, you know, investment to early education and things like that. They're set to run out after a year. But what happens when you give people stuff like when you have like social programs that come into effect like Obamacare it's incredibly difficult to get rid of them it becomes politically toxic to get rid of these things so what I think is been smart about what Biden has done as he's introduced these new sort of um, social programs right social welfare programs and I think a lot of them are going to stay after after the first year I think a lot of them are going to come back because you know, people don't want to see their benefits taken away from them. So I think like the the, the the child tax credit, I think has a much greater chance now of sticking around um, after, you know, after it expires next year, because it's going to be politically toxic to try and get rid of it. Republicans will try to get rid of it, but I think the Democrats can make a compelling case to, to, to keep it. Well, the, there, I mean, it, it goes away automatically. So it's not that it will have to be killed. It's it's going to go away on its own. And so it's the question, why, yeah, it's the, whether you renew it. You know, can you can you quit? Can you write another policy? Yeah, you know, and I I think you're you're more optimistic on that than I am because I, I see Republicans blocking the extension of the thirty six hundred dollar or the three thousand dollar a year for kids ages six to seventeen and the thirty six hundred dollars a year for kids under six. I don't see a big political will on the Republican side to renew something like that unless they get something that they really want. But it just this is a very popular policy in the bill, just like the bill generally is popular. And Mm. no Republicans voted for it, which just goes to show that this is a party that's not beholden by polls. They think that they can basically thumb their nose at three quarters of the population, which is how popular this bill is, and not pay a political price for it. And you know what the sad thing is? They're probably right in a lot of cases. A lot of these places in the 2022 elections, some of these congressional districts, some of these Senate seats that are up for re-election, they may not pay a political price for it. Speaking about evil Republicans, can we talk about Tucker Carlson? Can we talk about, what would you call it, the overbrain? I'd call it the overmind of the modern Republican a lot of the, the intellectual thinking comes from Tucker Carlson, who's had quite the week. I'm not sure how many of you pay attention to this guy, but I've always I keep I keep a tab on Tucker Carlson because I think he's probably the most dangerous man in America, uh, at least one of them. And this week, Tucker, he's been quite on quite a tear this week in terms of who he's been criticizing. He crit- so this week he criticized 
President Biden for making the military more feminine, right? So he said, uh, he said, while China's military becomes more masculine as it has assembled the world's largest navy, our military needs to become, as Joe Biden says, more feminine. So we've got new hairstyles and maternity flight suits. Pregnant women are going to fight our wars. It's a mockery of the US military. So this went, this didn't go down particularly well with the US military, which has hundreds of thousands of women serving in it. Uh, all of them, and and let's let's just be clear about this: that Tucker Carlson has, I I would bet Tucker Carlson has never even been in a fist fight, let alone served in the military. Uh, uh, so he's had quite an extraordinary week. He's also tried to sick his followers on a on a New York Times um, woman journalist, Taylor Lorenz, and claiming that she hasn't faced any online harassment. Right, um, so Taylor Lorenz said to her she, she had faced a lot of online harassment that she you know her life had been ruined by that and and tucker carlson d- dedicated an entire uh, lengthy segment of his show to essentially hu- trying to humiliate this woman and saying that she's got one of the best the best lives in the con- in the country and essentially you know the washington the, the new york times spoke out about it they released a statement saying that this is a targeted so yeah, so the sorry, the Times called his segment calculated and cruel. Tucker Carlson then came back on Wednesday or the day after to continue going after Lorenz, calling her a deeply unhappy narcissist, um, and then denying that she faces online abuse and uh, allowed one of his guests to accuse her of harassing kids and teenagers. And in his commentaries about her, he kept repeating her full name. Taylor Lorenz, Taylor Lorenz, as if to indicate to his audience exactly who, yes, exactly. Kept saying her, her full name, you know, he was, he was a little light on the pronouns, not just saying Lorenz or calling her by her first name. He's saying the full name and he knew exactly what he was doing when he was doing that. Of course, of course. So, I mean, trying to look at the psychology of Tucker Carlson is, I think, is is in a very interesting case, right? Because now what he's doing is, I mean, he's he's literally trying to increase kind of violent misogyny in, in America and to get his followers, who are also who are clearly a bunch of misogynistic white dudes, to harass women. For what purpose? Which is what I don't understand. What does Tucker Carlson get out of this? I don't. I don't get it. Well, he gets ratings, which I'm sure you know. Tucker Carlson. I'm sure he has an ego, and seeing his ratings rise and seeing his paycheck rise, you know, next time the he's up for contract renewal or whatever, you know, like that's what he gets out of it. But it's just really weird to me that like you have. His audience, I imagine, is just, a, like you said, a bunch of white dudes, retirees, some incels, like this weird mix. And I don't know how much they know about Tucker Carlson. I don't know. Like, they have to know that he's wealthy. I don't know if they specifically know that he is, like, the heir to the Swanson frozen food empire. But if you know where Carlson is coming from, like, he went to fancy private schools I don't know if 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 I were a viewer of his and I was aware of what his background is, I would have a hard time like squaring that with like what he's telling me. Like he's trying to be like an everyman, like he's trying to be, you know, he's he's trying to like speak to me in a way like he knows where where I've been. It's just really strange to me. Like I it would be 
I, and I, I'm a skeptical person by nature. So for me, mm. that would be a tough sell. For others, maybe not so much. But a lot of it is the, is the nastiness, right? Which is that's one of the most um, sort of disgusting things about this is that he has the, he has this sort of glee about him when he goes when he attacks someone, right? So um, it, this is from um, uh, the Washington Post, right? So he uh, discussing the the the, the Tucker Carlson debacle this week said Carlson also claimed that Lorenz is far younger and much less talented than other prominent New York Times reporters, yet she maintains a place, quote, at the top of journalism's repulsive little food chain. So he's he's like a really vindictive, nasty person. And he really takes a lot of pleasure in finding vulnerable people, you know, minorities, women, uh, and really sticking the knife in, you know, really turning the screws and... and and talking about how talentless they are and how stupid they are. Like, you know, he went after Jill Biden, you know, about how stupid Jill Biden was and how deeply unimpressive Jill Biden was. What's Jill Biden ever said about Joe Biden, uh, about Tucker Carlson? What's she ever done to anybody? You know, um, you know, just he likes to, he really gets off on saying nasty things like Joe Biden and, um, and, and Joe and Jill Biden don't really love each other. That it's it's a it's a fake relationship. Uh, that that uh, you know a kind of a kind of a PR trick to yeah. like, like the Bidens more. Yeah, I didn't get that. I like what what do you think was his motivation for that whole narrative? Where like oh they're just putting on an act after forty years of marriage or whatever it is. What, what do you think that was about? I just think he he's he's really nasty. He likes to say deeply unpleasant nasty things he's like that bully in in school who just know who's just a complete arsehole you know he always knows how to cut deeply you know he he knows how to use his words for maximum to create maximum pain and suffering you know where he can be perfectly pleasant and charming and nice but if you go you know if you cross him or if he doesn't like you, you know, he's going to go for you and he's going to say things that are in- deeply, deeply hurtful. And that's his skill. I would say that Tucker Carlson's great skill is, is being, um, he's, he's very clever in the way that he attacks people. And he's very, he's very personal. He makes it incredibly personal um, and incredibly nasty at the same time. I, I think that, you know, his targeting of, I mean, what was all this stuff about going after pregnant women in the military as well? And, and about, it kind of gives you an insight into, um, into what sort of thinking, what goes on in his thinking that, you know, feminizing the military as if the military, as if women are weak, right? As if women can't fight, as if women are not competent, right? And that Biden, um, you know, Biden's a kind of a, uh, a coward and a weakling and a fe- he's very fit, you know, he's feminine. So he's trying to feminize the military. What does that even mean? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, right? Pregnant women serve in the military. They do all sorts of, not on the front lines, but they, you know, I'm sure they play all sorts of roles in the military. They're people, they're people doing a job, right? They also and- get leave when they get pregnant. They get, I'm not sure at what point in their pregnancy they get, they get placed on leave. You're not going to have a woman who's like, seven months pregnant, you know, out in the field in active duty combat, like, come on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's just weird that he would go for that. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's like the least manly man ever. 
Tucker Swanson Carlson, whatever his full name is. Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson. Right. You know, as I said, I don't think this guy's, I literally don't think the guy's been in a fist fight. And how he gets off on, on where, where does he get off criticizing, you know, women who, who do serve, women who do go uh, and see active combat, put their lives, you know, at risk. Um, fighting wars that he supports, you know, that he all these wars that Tucker Carlson supported over the years, right? He has no problem sending other people's kids and women over to fight these wars. But yeah, if you if the military dares to look after pregnant women um, and take their needs into consideration, no, no, that that's that's beyond the pale. You know, that's that's the wussification of the military that he is never served in. Right, and it's just bizarre that he just pulled that out of thin air. Like, this wasn't something that was being talked about, really, anywhere that I saw. It was just like a thing that he decided that he was going to go after and be yeah, a he's, massive prick on. Yeah, he fixates on these th- – well, that's what I'm saying. He fixates on these things that make him um, – he, he gets a bee in his bonnet about, about a lot of these issues, uh, and particularly huh. about anything that has to do with women or has to do with minorities. He, he can't stand it. Really, I think he feels incredibly threatened by women and minorities. As speak, as most speak. white supremacists as most white supremacists are incredibly threatened by by women and minorities. Speaking of assholes, can, <laughs> can we talk about Andrew Cuomo? We can. We can talk about Mr. And, Cuomo. And that's not my word for Andrew Cuomo. It's Politico's word for Andrew Cuomo and others like him. Politico had an article by John Harris basically asking why there are so many assholes in politics. Their word, not mine. But six women have now come forward with various allegations of sexual misconduct against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. These range from inappropriate comments to forced kissing to an allegation that Cuomo reached under a woman's shirt and fondled her. These are serious accusations which have really dwarfed the the other Cuomo scandal right now, and that is that his administration undercounted the number of COVID deaths among nursing home patients by as much as 50%. The Democratic-controlled legislature has opened up an impeachment inquiry against him. Many top Democrats have called on Cuomo to resign, including, as of Friday, Representatives Jerry Nadler and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Cuomo is in a world of shit. Uh, He's survived scandals before, but I think this guy is toast this time around. The momentum is definitely working against him. I think... I think there's enough there for him to be impeached and removed by the legislature uh, if he doesn't resign before it gets to that point. And I I have to say, I have been disheartened and disturbed by a lot of the liberal response to this on social media. Basically, what we're seeing is the emergence of a a blue MAGA, if you will. Uh, If you go find a, a a tweet about Cuomo from a news organization or a Facebook post. Uh, I don't have Facebook anymore, but I assume the reactions are similar. And I just want to say, you know, based on what I have seen, the reactions from a lot of liberals are not great. And if you're a liberal and your reaction to multiple allegations of sexual misconduct against Andrew Cuomo or any other Democrat is, okay, now do Trump, or the timing of this seems suspicious, you have lost the fucking plot because that's what I'm seeing over and over again. 
over and over, liberals saying, oh, well, now, you know, now talk about the, the allegations against Trump. You know, what, well, what is this timing? You know, why is it coming out now? Like, you need to log off and do some personal reflection. First of all, the sexual assault accusations against Trump were covered abundantly. Second, the accusations against Trump have nothing to do with the accusations against Andrew Cuomo. They are absolutely not fucking related at all. And people who try to pull the Trump card are being hopelessly and mindlessly partisan. I mean, Cuomo is a, a he's a bully and a creep. He's an asshole, according to Politico. And I have no idea if every allegation against him is true, but just based on his public behavior, we know he's a bully and a creep. And if you're going to try to defend or downplay his behavior, which, by the way, is a total insult to anyone who's been victimized by him, then you probably don't have any meaningful principles when it comes to politics. You're probably only interested in your quote-unquote team winning and not getting bogged down by inconvenient realities like one of the most influential governors on your quote-unquote team being a bully and a creep. It's just whataboutism in its worst fucking form. And one last thing about the, the now-do-Trump refrain. Really? That's the fucking standard you want to hold your preferred politicians to? He's not as bad as Trump, really? So any Democratic politician who isn't as monstrous as the orange shithead who just left the White House is worth defending in your book? Get the fuck out of here. Do better. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, one of the pieces that I took a lot of criticism for during the Daily Banter, years of the Daily Banter, was a something, and I went after Bill Clinton, um, and I talked about the uh, the rape allegations against Bill Clinton that I believe have merit. You know, I I have to be honest. I looked at the cases. I and I it was just this was a whole during the whole Me Too thing. I looked at them and I had to come to the conclusion that obviously I don't know whether he did it or not. I have no idea, but you could not deny. You could not deny. Um, all the allegations against him, right? There was some, I believe that there was something there that the, the people who, who had accused him should have been heard and taken seriously um, with varying degrees of, of, of seriousness, you know, some more seriously than others, I, I seem to, I, I, th- I think. But uh, I took a lot of shit for that one uh, as well, because obviously, you know, this was at the time where Trump was uh, elected president and everybody was focusing on how bad Donald Trump was, which is fine. But it doesn't mean that, you can't also be therefore, you know, what Bill Clinton did was all right. Or therefore, you know, then it becomes, it's just tribalism. It just becomes like, you know, your guy does it. It's bad. If my guy does it like, well, let's talk about your guy. It's, it's just morally wrong to, to think that way. Um, and I think that Cuomo, the Cuomo situation kind of perfectly encapsulates that. I mean, look, I, I gotta, you know, this is a full confession to make. There is a, there is a part of me, there is a small part of me, right, that wants, that when I hear Republicans talking about Cuomo and about how bad he is and how he needs, part of me just thinks, you know what, I want Andrew Cuomo to stay, right? I want him to stay in power and tell everyone to fuck off because that's just what Trump did, right? So you're going to get a taste of your own medicine. 
but I recognize this is a part of me that I should never listen to, right? I should never listen to this, to this part of me. It's, it's, this, it's the part of me that wants revenge on, on Trump. It's the part of me that, you know, is, you know, go blues rather than go reds. And that's not what you should be listening to in your, in, in your own sort of um, moral compass, right? You, you know, look, this, the claims are legitimate. Cuomo is clearly a nasty piece of work. Yeah, the guy needs to go. And just because Trump did it doesn't mean that it's okay for him to do it. Well said. You know, I will say the reaction to the Cuomo allegations in some liberal circles and, you know, the reaction to your piece about Bill Clinton, like you just referenced, it it speaks to a larger problem, which is the urge of, and this happens on the right too, obviously, but just in this context, it's the urge of some liberals to defend Democrats no matter what, right? Whether we're talking about sexual misconduct allegations or, or policy decisions mm-hmm. or anything else, there's a tendency to just reflexively defend or support everything Democrats do if you're a liberal or everything Republicans do if you're a conservative. And that is just unhealthy, right? If Democrats fuck up or if they do something you think they should not have done, or if they don't do something that you think they should have done, speak the fuck up. You know, whether you're a blogger or a podcast or just commenting on a website or if you want to write your congressman or your senator or your state senator or your state legislator, make a stink. You know, if, if you're a Democrat and, you know, you don't think someone's being liberal enough or you think a, a Democrat like Cuomo has really engaged in completely unacceptable behavior, you don't have to go red rose Twitter. You don't have to channel those people. You just have to be like a sensible person and ask that your governors don't act like a total asshole. Or if it's a policy question, you know, demand that your congressman or senator do everything they can to get $15 minimum wage. Because if you'd never ask your politicians to do better, if you never ask them to do better. They won't do better, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so, like I said, I, you know, I was actually hoping, you know, on social media, I saw a lot of these like Cuomo stands and I'm thinking, I really hope this is like a paid troll army operation, right? Because I don't want to believe that there are this many people who genuinely think these things. But the more I saw, the more I came to realize that, wow, you know what, there is kind of a, there is kind of this quote unquote blue MAGA element going on here. And, and I hope that we can, we can rid ourselves of it. I'm not very optimistic though. I think these folks are going to be with us for a while. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I think we should, there is also, you know, we need, we should be grateful that the, the, I think that they're in probably a minority of Democrats. I think that generally speaking, um, you know, people on the left, at least in America, Democrat people who associate with being a Democrat are more reasonable, more conscientious, and more willing to accept when they're wrong. And I, I think that they're probably in a minority, the people who are defending Cuomo, unlike the Republican Party, which is, you know, essentially 99% Trump uh, and 99% willing to look the other way when it comes to all of the atrocious things that he's done. So I don't think that there's a, there's a an equivalency in terms of numbers, at least. You know, no, it may- so sorry to interrupt. And also, though, the difference between the Cuomo stands, and I'm not defending them. I think they're being absolutely ridiculous and and wrong. 
but they're not they're not celebrating what he's done right they're not they're, they're not they're trying to downplay the horrible things he's done whereas the trump stands the trumpers the true maga people they like celebrated the worst things that he did yeah you know when you have uh when you have trump supporting women with t-shirts saying you know he can grab my pussy i think uh yeah there we, we there's there is a difference there, there's a there is a a real tangible difference between the two sides. So, but you know, as you said, it doesn't mean that you can't criticize Cuomo and you can't demand that he, he, he go because obviously he's a bad guy and, and he needs to be gone. Like the longer he stays around, the worse it is for, for Democrats in general, I think. So he needs to go quickly. So on that note, I think we'll end, end it for today. Uh, Michael, unless you have anything else to add, Actually, the governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, does. He has a very uh, he had a very important message about the dangers of marijuana last week. So this is a dangerous drug that will impact our kids. If you legalize marijuana, you're going to kill your kids. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Okay. All right, everybody. So just remember. No marijuana or your kids are going to die. And on that note, um, yeah, I think that's it for for, <laughs> for today's episode. I uh, hope everybody has a great weekend. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, make sure that you're subscribed to us on Spotify. There will be a link at the bottom of the email in the newsletter. Uh, you can also get 50% off a Bantam membership so you can read all of our members-only articles um, and you can help support the newsletter. That would be awesome. Um, let's go to thebanter.sunslap.com um, and you can click on the uh, red button where you get the discount. Uh, yeah, and that's it. And uh, yeah, please get involved in any discussions. You can leave comments below and we will get back to you. Uh, until next week, we'll see you then. Smoke weed every day.